Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. We're glad to have all of you here. Glad to have some visitors. Glad to have you all here. If you had noticed, we are now in October. Where has the year gone so far? But October, the first Sunday in October, means that homecoming is coming quickly. So homecoming is next week. And as Jeff mentioned, you're all in for a treat. We're all in for a treat. Evan will be back, our former song leader, as well as Laws Rushing, our former preacher. So hopefully everyone will be able to join us next week here for homecoming and uh, to make it all a, a nice full building. We usually have quite the crowd. The theme, if you will, of songs this morning has been on prayer. Hopefully everybody noticed that. <laughs> Try to make it about as obvious as possible because we're going to be looking, as the title here says, the prayer that should have been. The prayer that should have been. And so I hope that uh, the message comes across to those of you at Knowles when you're watching this a little later. Hopefully we'll share some thoughts here this morning about the prayer that should have been. We're all the way back in Joshua 9. If you'd also notice, you don't have the handout yet this morning. We're going to start, I think, trying to have a few deputies here that'll catch everybody at the door to give a copy of the handout as we leave. It's always funny, right? You give everything out and everybody knows exactly what you're about to say. So maybe I should, you know, maybe that's the way I'm trying to be told how to not get up and talk so long. It's already on the handout. Just say, yeah, read the handout. I can sit down again. We're going to give it out at the end because I want us to see the progression and to see what the problem is. The prayer that should have been all the way back in Joshua 9. <coughs> in the Old Testament book of Joshua, God's people are finally taking the land of Canaan. The land had been promised to Abraham several hundred years before. And then the people were kept as slaves for a couple of hundred years in the land of Egypt. And Moses brought them out of Egypt, wandering through the wilderness because of their lack of faith. Until now, finally, some 40 years or so after that had happened, they're beginning to take the land of Canaan. Well, this involved fighting and defeating a lot of city-states. And by city-states, sometimes it's a city, sometimes it's a collection of cities, rather small groups of people that were already in the land. First to fall had been Jericho, and in chapter 8, right before the passage we'll be looking at today, the city of Ai, or Ai, I never know how to pronounce those things, I hear it both ways all the time, uh, had been defeated and its inhabitants destroyed. So I want to pick up right after that city had been defeated in Joshua chapter 9. So stay with me here this morning. Picking up here with verse 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea, Mediterranean Sea, toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard this, heard what? The Ai or A, the city of Ai or A had fallen. The city of Jericho had fallen, right? They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. The Israelites, as I said, had just defeated a rather large city. It took them two times because of their own mistakes, their own lack of faith. Many of the remaining cities and city-states banded together to fight back. I mean, why on earth wait to lose one by one the way Jericho and Ai or A had fallen? Makes a lot of sense, right? It's easier to pick off things one at a time than it is to take on the entire group of people. So suddenly, these cities and city-states found they were all allied together because they had this common enemy. 
Israel, the people of, of uh, God, coming into the land. But, so all the city-states gathered together, but, as Thurl read earlier, when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part, they didn't join together, they on their part acted with cunning. Acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended, patched up <coughs> with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbling. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Okay, so they don't join up with the Perizzites and the Hivites and all these other groups of people. On their own part, they come up with a plan and they, this is their plan, right? They go and find worn out sacks for the donkeys, patched sandals, they take a different approach. So here's what I've always wondered whether all their shoes look like that. These are my work shoes. I usually wear them. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but if you think about a pair of sandals that may be past their prime, I'm sure they still work, but they don't look like they just came from discount shoe warehouse, which I've had to go into at least once. All right, discount shoe warehouse. They've got old sandals. They've got old sacks. They've got old worn out clothes, and it's also said that all their food was kind of crumbly. Maybe all they have for food is some sort of croutons. Fancy word for old dried out bread, right? Croutons. Joshua said to them, so they came to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Joshua says to them, who are you and where do you come from? That sounds like the response of a military guy, right? He's just led the, the people and fighting against Jericho and Ai or A. He's like, who are you and where do you come from? Like, halt, who goes there, right? Would be our 20 and 21st century equivalent. They said to him, I'm going to invent a, a, a sound here. Oh, we come from a very far country. Like, your servants have come from a very far country. We ain't from around here, Joshua. For we have heard, uh, because of the name of the Lord your God, we have heard a report of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did here in Canaan. <clears throat> They've heard this report. They've come from a long way. So the elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say, we are your servants. Come now. Make a covenant with us. Let's make a treaty. We are not from around here. We come from a long way away, so there's no reason to be suspicious and no reason to like, attack us. You see what they're doing? Here's our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as food for our journey on the day we came out to meet you. It now looks like dried crumbly croutons, but boy, it was the freshest bread you've ever seen when we left a long time ago. And now behold, it's dry and crumbly. The wineskins were new when we filled them. Behold, they burst, man, patch them up. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the long journey. They're faking it. Remember it said they were acting with cunning? They're trying to pull one over on Joshua and the people of Israel. They're faking it. They took old bread. It wasn't new. They took old bread. They took worn out shoes and clothes to make it look like they've been traveling a long time. Why? God had told Joshua and the people of Israel to wipe out the people living in the land of Canaan. 
don't spare anybody. If they're living in Canaan, this is your land. If they're living in Canaan, these people are idolaters. They are focused on a cult of fertility. They're going to lead you astray to be immoral. This land is yours. If you want it, get rid of all the people in it, which is rather harsh, rather, 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 you know, tough when you read about it. That's what God had told them. But if they were from far away, if they weren't from Canaan, hey, Joshua and the people of Israel, maybe we make a, a treaty with these people from along for peace, right? So here's what I've often thought about the bread, right? Maybe that's the loaf of bread they brought with them. Mm -mm, that looks freshly baked, doesn't it? Right? That looks like it's been in a sack for a long way. You find that kind of stuff when you find an open thing of bread put over in a corner somewhere and you pull it out and say, this must be what penicillin looks like. Because that's what their bread, I suspect, looks like, right? They're doing their best to fool Joshua and the people of Israel. And Joshua made peace with them and a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them, we're going to make a treaty with you. So Joshua and the people of Israel make a treaty with them. But, but, at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were in fact neighbors and that they lived among them. You know, maybe they, they found a receipt from the local Kroger store and they knew that they weren't from a far away away. The gig is up, we might say, right? The, 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 the trick is discovered. Only three days later, the, the deception is exposed. So, oops. Joshua summoned them and said, why did you deceive us? Saying, we're far away from you when you dwell among us. Why'd you try to fool us? Why did you fool us? The people answered Joshua and say, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give all the land to you and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. We fooled you because we thought we would be dead if we didn't. Now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your eyes to do to us, do it. Now, look, let's be honest here. This is a smart move the people of Gideon, Gibeon had made. The people of Israel do wipe out most. They don't do all, but they wipe out most of the people. So the people of Gibeon may very well have been next. By pulling off this trick, by acting in this cunning way, not automatically destroyed. So what happens? Joshua delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel and did not kill them. The people of Israel honored the agreement they had made with the people of Gibeon. They had sworn that we'll make this covenant with you. We're not going to wipe you out. But that's not what God had wanted Joshua and the people to do. Now years later, years later, this causes a problem and contributes to a great famine which afflicts the entire <laughs> land of Israel. When King Saul, right, this is another 100, 200 years at least after the time of Joshua, King Saul tried to attack the people of Gibeon 
despite this covenant, despite this agreement that Joshua and the people of Israel had made with him. He attacks them, breaks the covenant. God puts a famine on the land. God's people keep their word. You do this, it's on you guys, God essentially says to the people of Israel. So what caused the mistake? This is a mistake. The people of Israel are not doing what God told them to do. It contributes to a famine. Lots of people suffer later. People of Israel, God's people suffer later because of what happened. What's the root cause of this problem? Look back at Joshua 9, 14 with me. So the men took some of their provisions. This is the men of Israel. They took some of the crumbly bread. They took some of the wine out of the old patched, you know, very, very decrepit wineskins. So they took some of the crumbly bread and made their decision, thanking the people of Gibeon. They at least checked it out. Yeah, this looks, this bread looks like it's got penicillin on it to me, right? They, they at least checked out the story and they conclude that it must be from far away. So that's why they ended up making the covenant with the people of Gibeon. But they did not ask counsel from the Lord. They make their own decision based on what they've been told and what their eyes showed them. This is the root problem, the basic mistake Joshua and the people made. They do not seek God's counsel. Should we make a covenant with the people of Gibeon? Instead of seeking his guidance, they decided on their own. What does that do? They don't follow God's commands. They don't clear out the people of Canaan. They've made this treaty. They honor the treaty. I'm not sure they should. If they wanted, they might could have asked God, should we keep the treaty we just made? But they don't destroy them. And years later, creates a big famine. This is a mistake. And it's caused by the fact that they believe their own eyes and trust in their own ways rather than seeking God's guidance, seeking what God wanted them to do. This morning, what should we learn from this episode here in Joshua 9? What does it mean to me? What am I going to do with this, right? Why do we rely on ourselves to make decisions when we know we should rely on God? You know, there's that passage, a lot of young people sing it, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean upon your own understanding. And it's, it's, a, it's a problem we all get, right? Because we all start, especially if you get older, hopefully you get a little wiser. That's the plan, the hope. And we make decisions about our lives without praying to God for wisdom, without God to help make sure that our choices are going to reflect His will and be what He wants. If we desire to follow God's way, why do we act without <coughs> seeking God first? Are we too rushed for time? I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to pray at least overnight and see if God gives me some clear guidance with my mind being clear and focused on what God might really want me to do here. Am I too confident in myself? I think that's often it. <laughs> I know what I need to do here. Right? And that's a specific failing, I'm afraid some of us will fall into. Why don't we take matters to God first? Is it because we think consulting God doesn't matter? God doesn't care which way I decide on this. 
I mean, after all, I got through yesterday without praying to God just fine. I'll make this decision. No real point talking to him about things for tomorrow either. Why? Why don't we seek God? Why so often do we make decisions and make choices without asking God to bless our intellects, to bless our approach to things, to give us wisdom, to help us make the decision that he would want us to decide. And I don't think you're going to see it in burning letters in the night sky as you're falling asleep. But pray to God about it. Take it to God. People of Israel don't do it, and it's a mistake. It causes grief for them later. I'm afraid that many times we make decisions without seeking God's input, without seeking wisdom from God, that turn out to be bad for us. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody here just have all the wisdom they think they need, right? James said, if anybody lacks wisdom, I assume that all of us would raise our hand here and say, I could use more wisdom. I've got some tough things I'm facing. I don't know what to do sometimes. Let him ask of God who gives to all freedom. You know, we don't do it. It's like having an open window at the wisdom bank handing out as much as anyone would want, and we just walk on by. Do we think the matter is not important enough to talk to God about it? Does God really care if I replace my car or get it fixed? Does God really care if I see about getting to know this man, this woman better than I know them right now? Is there anything that's truly insignificant? No, look. I will freely admit, I really don't imagine I'm going to be seeking God's advice on which brand of macaroni to buy off the shelf. You know, I'm not talking the trip, things that might be trivial, but I would hope God will help me with all my decisions and all my circumstances. And if I pray with that, I'm not sure I need to necessarily, before I pick something off of an aisle, pray to God and say, Kraft or Annie's or something. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about things that do seem a little more serious than that. But there's a lot of things that are more serious than Coke or Pepsi. And I'm afraid we may be like Joshua and the people of Israel, but perhaps we don't seek God's guidance and wisdom from God as often as we, we should. Do we think it's not important or do we think God just doesn't care? You know, if I feel distant from God... If I think God's not actively involved in my life, if I think God just doesn't care what I do or don't do, if I don't feel Him being near to me, then maybe that's why I don't take things to God. When we fail to approach God with the issues of our lives, we make the same mistake Joshua and the people made. We do. Relying upon ourselves to make decisions without consulting to God will get us into trouble nearly, I'll put nearly in there, nearly every time. You might get lucky sometimes, but it will get us into trouble. There's a reason I love that young people will often sing that song and, and hear that verse. You know, don't lean on your own understanding. Because my own understanding is flawed. I make mistakes all the time. That's why I should pray to God for wisdom. Here's the great news this morning is that you can start relying on God right now, today. If you haven't been, God doesn't care about the past. God cares about 
right now. God cares about today and tomorrow. God doesn't care nearly as much about yesterday. So if you're a member of God's family and you want the family here, gathered here this morning, to pray and take your name before God and ask to pray with all of us to give you wisdom, to make better decisions or some decision or circumstance that you're facing, we're all happy to do that. As brothers and sisters, that's something we can and do do for each other. If you're not a member of God's family, if you are not God's child, that's changeable this morning. You need to believe in Jesus and in the power he has to save each and every one of us, that he paid the price for my mistakes, for your mistakes, by dying on that cross to take our sins away. We need to turn our lives around, and that's a slow process many times. It's a sad, but it's true. It's a process of thinking more about what God wants me to be instead of what I feel like I want to be. That's called repentance in the big word. And to simply do as Jesus said. He said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, John 8. Luke 13, he said, unless you repent, you will perish in the same way. And then in Mark 16, he said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus said it, just do it. You don't have to approach today and tomorrow with a distance between you and God. That distance disappeared this morning, right now, as together we stand and sing.